0: Over the past few episodes, you've heard us talking about some pretty strange things. Now, as we come to the conclusion of the Weird Saga, we see that what seems strange to us was a simple truth to ancient readers. On this week's episode of the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast, Christian writers, Jewish fathers, and dead poets. You don't want to miss it. You're listening to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. I'm Gandalf. I'm Matt. And I'm Nathan Van Horn. The Bible is the most read book ever, but to some it is merely fiction. Join our conversations as we connect the dots to reveal that the story of the Bible is not only true, it's better than fiction. To learn more about the show or to contact us directly, visit us online at www.betterthanfictionbiblepodcast.com. Welcome back, listener, to episode 28 of the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. We've got a lot of ground to cover in today's episode, so we're just going to take care of a few housekeeping items. First, as always, if you're not subscribed to the podcast, go ahead and take this moment to do that right now. It's free. You can change your mind later if you get tired of us, but you'll get a notification every Tuesday morning when we have a new episode of the show. Second, if you're listening to us in the Atlanta area, Please leave us a message on our website, betterthanfictionbiblepodcast.com. We'd love to hear about how you heard about the show and how you got plugged into listening every week. And finally, shout out to friend of the show, David, who is currently binge listening to the entire series that we've done up to this point in one go. Uh, Hang in there, buddy. Appreciate you uh, taking the time to listen to us.
1: Godspeed, sir. (laughs)
0: And then uh, finally, this is part four of a saga that we've been doing on Genesis 6, 1 through 2. So if you have not listened to the previous ones, start at episode 25, because we're just going to assume that you already know everything from episodes 25 on up.
1: Mm. That is shameless. I love that we've gone from episodes to sagas. Yes, (laughs) there you go.
0: Well, that's what you call it, right because it, it's like there's an episode, then there's a duology, a trilogy. Now it's a saga.
2: It's a saga, and so this is episode four, a
1: new hope. <laughs> <laughs> a new no, hope of quite. getting of getting past Genesis six <laughs> two. <laughs> is uh, there
0: hope for getting past Genesis six two
1: today?
2: I uh, don't know. not today.
1: Yeah. Well, so here's my thing: is we say this a lot, which probably means we're insecure. But we, we like to say we might be crazy, but we're not crazy about this, right? Um, and, Put and that one, on t-shirt. And one of the, please do. <laughs> um, and, and one of the ways that we try to hold our ideas or perceptions of the text in check, and we say this often, is that we remember we're not the first people to interpret Scripture. We don't do that in a vacuum. And so uh, I like to tell people, if you have an understanding of Scripture that has never been thought of before, there's a good chance you're wrong because you're, you're saying that, you know, the people of God inspired by the spirit of, I and mean, dwelt by the spirit of God for generations before you, this never occurred to them, but now it's magically occurred to you. Um, so what we wanted to do today is in our last episode, we looked at, uh, in our minds, some arguments from the text itself in the Old Testament as to why we think the weird view is, is actually the right view. Uh, But today we want want to show that's not in a vacuum. When you look at the New Testament, when you look at Jewish interpreters, uh, when you look at early Christian interpreters, you see that this view is well documented uh, in those sources as well. Right, Matt?
2: That's absolutely right, Nathan. And that's what we want to show you today, because don't take our word for it, uh, because ultimately the reason we're holding the position that we do is because we're taking at least our understanding of their word. Uh, So that's what we're going to look at today. So I'm going to begin by just doing a a quick flyover of Genesis 6, uh, 1, and we'll just look at 1 through 2 today, and then we're going to jump right into several passages in the New Testament, and then we're going to look at, as Nathan said, some early church and early Jewish fathers. So let me begin with Genesis 6, 1 through 4, reading from the ESV. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. So we've talked about this in previous weeks and we've talked about different theories and looked at different viewpoints. So today we want to look at those early sources. And as almost always, the best way And the best, or excuse me, as almost always, the best commentary on the Old Testament is going to be the New Testament. Yeah. And that's where we want to go first. So let's go to 2 Peter chapter number two, 2 Peter chapter number two, and we're going to look through verses one through six. But before I read this, Nathan, why don't you remind us about the the forbidden knowledge aspect and the sensual aspect that we see from both Genesis three and Genesis chapter six?
1: Yeah, so uh, we we contended last week um, that uh, in early commentary, Jewish and Christian, we'll see it today, on both Genesis 3 and Genesis 6, uh, when we actually have commentary or a take on the heavenly rebellions against God, both by the devil and by the rebellious angels who are cast out with him, even if it's not at the same time, that's an important point of distinction. Uh, it usually centers on two topics. Uh, and, and we talked about this last week as, as in terms of crossing a boundary or barrier, centering on two things, either imparting to mankind knowledge that was not intending intended for mankind. Uh, you see, certainly see that in Genesis 3 or engaging the senses, uh, perhaps up to and an including uh, sexual activity with mankind. There's a crossing of the barrier. And what's so neat, uh, I think Matt is setting up, is that's exactly what we'll see about the rebellious angels discussed in second Peter chapter two.
0: That's a, that's a checkoff's gun moment, right? We say that. Yes, a lot the absolutely. Show.
1: Yes. And again, you will have the idea of divinely appointed barriers recurring again and again through scripture. Why does Uzzah die when he touches the ark? Matt and I were talking about this, you know, why is there a curtain separating the Holy of Holies, um, uh, from you know the rest of the tabernacle or temple? Why do they put boundary markers around Mount Sinai when Moses goes up there to receive the law? And those who go beyond the boundary markers, what? They would die. Uh, so the idea of a sacred boundary, um, it's there in the earliest chapters, but we'll see it play out again, again and again in scripture. And then we'll see a beautiful scene in Hebrews 10 where Jesus uh, takes care of our boundary problem.
2: Right. And it's not just boundaries on this side for our human experience, it's boundaries on the unseen world side that angels have boundaries too. I'm reminded. And they're not
1: supposed to violate them either.
2: That's right. I'm reminded of that uh, story at the end of Revelation after John is given the full apocalypse and he falls down on his face in front of the angel and begins to worship. And the angel panics. And he's like, hey, uh, get up. You can't do that. You know, I
1: wasn't created to receive this from you. <laughs> yeah, is,
2: you stop. It's kind of like, stop, John. You're going to get no, us both in trouble. Like, do what, what is do going it. on? He says, these have eternal consequences. Stop. So, um, but anyway, so we're going to look at this. So let's look first at Second Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. And you're going to hear the whole idea of boundary, forbidden knowledge, sensuality, and how it's connected into this. So in 2 Peter chapter 2, the point of this text is to talk about false teachers within the church. That's what's being talked about. It's not articulating ancient history. It's talking about the presence of false prophets within the people of God. However, how he illustrates that is what we want to focus on. So verses one through six. In
1: other words, teachers, those responsible for conveying
2: knowledge. Yes, exactly. is not idle and their destruction is not asleep so let's think here just real quick about genesis 3. it was forbidden knowledge that the nakash the serpent used to lead astray adam and eve into a sensual experience of taking of something forbidden and it brought destruction into a and, perfect and, and, and essentially environment awaken, of Eden. Yeah, and yeah. essentially
1: awakened the other senses, right? Suddenly, Correct. they go from naked and unashamed to, hey, we need to cover up.
2: We need to cover up. So that's Genesis 3. But listen to what he says in verse number 4. To further illustrate his point that forbidden knowledge can lead to cross boundaries, which leads to destruction, listen to what he says. Verse 4, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness. By the way, cast them into hell. Literally Tartarus, yeah. Or Tartarus, Tartaru, that throwing into Tartarus is what it means. To be kept until the judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, Mm -hmm. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what was going to happen to the ungodly. And it goes on and it continues to talk about this, but it's giving illustrations here. Peter is giving illustrations by talking about the pre-flood world, by talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's talking about angels who sinned, and they're all lumped together that they crossed sensual boundaries because of and knowledge. Boundaries, knowledge. Yeah. Yes. And again, because we, of I cannot knowledge.
1: overstate this point. When we read Genesis 3, God offers judgment to one heavenly being, the serpent. Right. Where, right. where do we see in the story, where do we see angels crossing a barrier that God had established for them?
2: You because just as a reminder, that, you
1: don't get that till Genesis 6. Right.
2: Just as a reminder, what many of us have grown up believing and being taught is that you have Satan that sometime in eternity past or sometime after the moment of creation, there was a primordial rebellion in heaven and Satan was cast out with a third of the angels. That is what we are frequently taught in church at least that's what I learned uh, you guys yeah, s-
0: same thing for, for me and what's funny is is that I was taught that growing up but I was always taught with the caveat where well it's not explicitly in the Bible here's just what we believe so mm-hmm. even we all we all knew that it was not explicitly the Bible we were just handing down things that we had been taught
2: right you know, so what's interesting is when Jude talks about the sin that the angels committed we're gonna look at that one and Nathan why don't you walk us through Jude But when Jude talks about it, you will see that that whole idea of a primordial angelic rebellion and fallen angels following Satan in a rebellion and being cast out of heaven does not fit within Jude's description at all. So, Nathan, why don't you take us to Jude chapter one, because there's only one chapter.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I'll look at four and then we'll just hop straight down to six. Okay. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God. So again, something's being distorted. I, I think of... Uh, this know, is also,
2: Jude is talking about false teachers. the
1: brain yeah, that's, that's Forbidden right. knowledge. Who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Skipping down to verse 6. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the day, until the judgment of the great day. Uh, What's so interesting for me, Matt, is over against the idea that the rebellious angels were cast out. This has angels before any judgment has occurred on them, willingly leaving or abdicating their created position
2: right and to illustrate this leaving and abdicating their position and crossing a boundary notice what he says in verse seven why don't you go ahead and read that because it's just as to describe the angels he uses another story
1: yeah just as sodom and gomorrah and the surrounding cities which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire uh, and it's uh, interesting, in Greek, the unnatural desire is literally heteros uh, sarx, uh, other flesh, serving as an example by undergoing uh, a punishment of eternal fire. Matt, I think I'm picking up what you're laying down. And in and, and Sodom and Gomorrah, the crime there was that these men tried to rape these angelic visitors. And so you're saying that Genesis 6 has the equal but opposite uh, version of that, where these angels have abdicated their heavenly position and take for themselves Lakak, the daughters of men. Right, Uh, so the the
2: emphasis is the the take, as they think of the men of Sodom who tried to force themselves on the two angelic visitors. Genesis 6, these sons of God took women. It was there, it was they were taking from the daughters of men. And again, let going
1: back. Yeah. And, and that we have took, that's, that's right. We, we see the same combination in Genesis six that we saw in Genesis three, Saul, Ra, that it was good to, I mean, Tov. And so they, LaCac, take, but I love how second Peter, the big thing for the second Peter thing is the fact that second Peter puts this back to back with the flood. Uh, You know, we go to the flood and we almost assume the flood because it's such an iconic biblical story, but what could have possibly gone so wrong that God, in other words, Adam and Eve sin, God puts them out of the garden. What has gone so wrong that God says worldwide flood?
2: So much so that it says that God regretted that he made man. He, He was grieved. That's it. And also, if, if we just talk about like the number of sins, like there's no way that the population of the pre-flood world was anywhere close to the population today. Well, there's a whole lot more sinners on the world today and God is not bringing a worldwide cataclysmic judgment at this moment. So what could have demanded, what went so wrong and so bad that it demanded a world, worldwide reset. And, and I think that's, and, is that what you're getting at?
1: Yeah. And and here's my thing is, Matt, we've, we've talked about this uh, on this front. Uh, you know, Jude and Peter stand in, in great continuity with some Jewish interpretations of Genesis 6 uh, that actually predate the New Testament. Uh, right. You, you see this in 1 Enoch 6, 2 through 7, 5, and then again in chapter 9. You see this in Jubilees. And let me just read those very quickly. Here's 1 Enoch. And the angels, the sons of heaven or sons of God, saw them and desired them. And they said to one another, come, let us choose for ourselves wives from the children of men and let us beget for ourselves children. They're leaving their proper dwelling. And they took wives for themselves and everyone chose for himself one each. And they began to go into them and were promiscuous with them. And they taught them charms and spells and showed them the cutting of roots and trees. Forbidden knowledge. Forbidden knowledge. And they became pregnant and bore great giants. Again, usually when you see uh, Nephilim uh, translated elsewhere, it's rendered as giants, uh, whose height was three thousand cubits. So that's nuts. These devoured, uh, these devoured all the products of the toil of men until great men were unable to, until men were unable to sustain them. Then the giants turned against them in order to devour men, and they began to sin against birds and against animals and against reptiles and against fish. And they devoured one another's flesh and drank the blood from it. And the woman and the women bore giants, and thereby the whole earth was filled with blood and iniquity. That's nuts. And and certainly that goes beyond the Bible, but you see how it stands in line with where, uh, in other words, Jude and Peter do not affirm every detail of that, but the gist of what happened is there. Same thing in Jubilees. And it came to pass that when the children of men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, like we see at the beginning of Genesis 6, that the angels of God saw that they were beautiful to look upon. So they, the angels, married of them, the human females, whomever they chose. They began. Uh, they gave birth to uh, children uh, for them, and these were giants. Wickedness increased on the earth. All flesh corrupted its way, from people to cattle, cattle animals, birds, and everything that moves on the ground. All of them corrupted their way and their prescribed course, which is exactly what's being uh, set forth of the angels in Jude, right? They began to devour each other and wickedness increased on the earth. Every thought of all mankind's knowledge was in this way continually evil. The Lord saw the earth and behold, it was corrupted and all flesh had corrupted its prescribed course and all that were upon the earth had acted wickedly before his eyes. And he said that he would destroy man and all flesh upon the earth, which he had created. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Man, you, you see at least how Jubilees and Enoch and, um, and Peter and Jude were reading Genesis. So if we're crazy, we are not alone.
2: <laughs> yes, but not even just in the biblical sources in the sense, uh, of course, uh, Jubilees and Enoch are not considered biblical sources, they're extra-biblical. But when you look at Jewish historical sources as well, uh, I have a quote here from the Antiquities of the Jews by Flavius Josephus. It says, For many angels of God accompanied with women and beget sons that proved unjust and despisers of all that was good on account of the confidence they had in their own strength. For the tradition is... That these men did what resembled the acts of whom the Grecians called giants. That's Anto- Antiquities of the Jews by Flavius Josephus, Book One. Um, it's interesting. Also, Philo, uh, another ancient Jew, writing about these people in his historical account. Um, what's it's interesting in his uh, in his account in his section called on the giants. He says, "And there were giants on the earth in those days." Perhaps someone may here think that the lawgiver is speaking enigmatically and alluding to the fables handed down by the poets about giants, though he is a man as far removed as possibility from any invention of fables. He's talking about Moses here. He's thinking he's what Philo is saying here is that perhaps some might read Moses here and say he's just talking about fables. And Philo has said, "Listen, you haven't read Moses if you think he's talking fables." Um, so there, there is—it's just interesting uh, that when you look at the old stuff, the old stuff, people don't have a problem with this. And I well, think, go ahead.
1: Yeah, and I, and I like that for for Philo. Uh, again, uh, we all operate uh, sociologically with plausibility structures. You know, uh, this this makes sense in the way that I see the world. I love for him that even while he is contending that Moses is different <laughs> from Correct. what's around him. Yeah, he he knows that Moses's concept is similar enough to an idea they already have. Right. Right? Uh, and that's right. interesting. In other words, he, he he knows that Moses will not be setting forth something completely novel in a vacuum to non-Jewish readers.
0: You know what's funny is that we we've been calling this third view of Genesis six the weird view. Not uh, to them. The supernatural view. But hearing from, you know, biblical writers and extra biblical writers and now these, you know.
2: Ancient historical uh, ancient
0: historical accounts, it it almost seems like it's not even weird anymore because they were just taking it in stride. Even the biblical authors, they weren't when they're talking about that stuff, they weren't making a point. Their points weren't specifically in order to shed light on what was going on in Genesis six, they were saying it in regards to another topic, but it was just so matter of fact to them that they just use it as a way of illustration for something else.
1: And again, we're not saying that the Bible is affirming every detail that you're in extra biblical sources. The Bible nowhere says that these figures were 3000 cubits in height, like we read, you know, just a few moments ago, but the concept that uh, heavenly beings abandoned their God given dwelling and uh, intentionally, perhaps even forcibly, commingled with the daughters of men.
2: However, it's, that took
1: place. However, that took place. Man, it's it's not just in one place. You see that in a lot of places, both in the Bible, Jude and Second Peter, and uh, Jewish sources predating the New Testament, and even in the early church fathers, right, Matt?
2: Yes, exactly. That's what I was going to mention. One of the church's earliest apologists, Justin Martyr, he writes, and by the way, in Justin's work, he uses this story as an evangelistic outreach to Greeks and Romans to say, hey, look, you're ancient poets were on to something. They didn't have the full story. Uh, So he uses it. So anyway, this is in his second apology, chapter five, God, when he had made the world and subjected things earthly to man and arranged the heavenly elements for the increase of fruits and rotations and of the seasons and appointed this divine law for these things, also he evidently made for man, committed the care of man And of all things under heaven, to whom angels, to angels, whom he appointed over them, but the angels transgressed this appointment, and were captivated by love of women. So, man, Justin is all over this in the sense he is, he is acknowledging, hey, that there was something that took place because. We know from Hebrews and the Psalms that angels are ministering spirits; they're sent to earth in order to be deliverers of the word of God, to give guidance to the people of God. Uh, we see that over and over again throughout the uh, Old and New Testament. And He's saying, "Listen, when they took upon human flesh, or however that was that that took place, they they were let us they were led astray and they sinned." Also, Irenaeus, Irenaeus. Uh, early church father,
1: he he, writes here. My favorite church father for the record. Right.
2: (laughs) Recapitulation
1: Uh, for the win. Go ahead.
2: There you go. Um, And it says, And for a very long while wickedness extended and spread and reached and laid hold upon the whole race of mankind until a very small seed of righteousness, i.e. Noah, remained among them and illicit unions took place upon the earth since angels were united with the daughters of the race of mankind, and they bore them sons, who for their exceeding greatness were called giants. There you uh, go. That that's that is just amazing to me because Irenaeus. That's Nathan. What is that? That's second century.
1: Yeah, Irenaeus is usually, uh, uh, you know, mid to late second century, about one, you know, one sixty one seventy five A.D. Um, but didn't what, what, you also read a quote to us from St. Ambrose? That yeah, that's interesting. The, that's what I wanted to capture is St. Ambrose on Noah. And the reason Ambrose is so interesting to me is this is not as early as Irenaeus or Justin Martyr, but Ambrose is a contemporary of Augustine. Augustine, who popularized the Sethian view, even in his own day, it's, it's, it's not the only view. Ambrose, as a contemporary of Augustine, says, the giants, Nephilim, were on the earth in those days. The author of the divine scripture does not mean that those giants, there it is, must be considered, according to the tradition of poets, as sons of the earth, but asserts that those whom he defines with such a name because the extraordinary size of their body were generated by angels and women. That's, that's interesting to me. So uh, and it's also
2: uh, we see the proto evangelium there that this whole idea of the hostility between the seed of woman and the, the seed, seed of the serpent, the seed of the seed of man and the seed of the serpent. So it, uh, it's, it's And again,
1: yeah. And uh, it's interesting. You know, we said sons of God in the Old Testament doesn't necessarily connote a biological relationship. Uh, it's it's neat that the, the seed of the serpent becomes his. Seed not by being begotten of him, but by following in his rebellion against mm. God's created order. And, and at that's least, why Jesus could look at the, the
2: Pharisees in the first century and say, Your father the devil.
1: He, he is he is You not do his saying, works. You do his yeah, works. You
2: do his way. He is not saying you are biologically descended from him, but because of what you do.
1: Yeah.
0: You mm. know you done goofed when <laughs> When Jesus calls, you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fu-
1: funny, not funny though, right? And so I mean, so I mean, this this episode's kind of been like a dead poet society thing, uh, where you know you're looking at the voice the voices of ancient deceased writers uh, for you know wisdom and discernment in the present. Again, everyone comes to the text with a set of lenses. We have this episode, which again, yes, we've slowed down on on another spot but it's a spot that we typically skip over because we either make it boring or we either say it's too weird, here there be monsters, but we absolutely want to capture just because it's weird to us, just because it's weird to you, does not mean it was weird to them. Uh, To them, the weird view was the most common sense reading of the text and it was completely plausible. Uh, Again, not only in the world around the Bible, Jewish writers, not only in the world after the bible early christian fathers but the world of the bible it's right there in second peter and jude
0: yeah you you can call us crazy and that's all right but you going to call peter crazy you going to call my man josephus crazy no no
1: yeah and again just because it's weird to, you know i think of going to a foreign country um and and i don't know if, i mean i'm i'm sure y'all have done this at some point but you go to a foreign country and in, invariably you're presented with food, right? That you're like, oh my gosh, this is exotic cuisine for me. I've never had this meal. And it's just everyday fare for them, right? That's just part of their diet. So, So again, weird to us does not mean weird to everyone. And we need to have humility when we approach the text. Again, we could be wrong, but the evidence seems to point in my mind in this direction and and let the text say what the text says. And if and if God is behind the text, the the text is not going to mislead us, right? Mm-hmm.
2: Um, yeah. Because here's where I am. If we are wrong on this, then I am reading Jude and Peter incorrectly, because I'm understanding Jude and Peter to be commenting on historical events for their illustration. If the Sethian view is right, what this means is that Jude and Peter are using a legend to illustrate a point. And it just creates a lot of problems if that's the approach, because then that legend is also lumped with the flood. Are we going to call that a legend too? Are we going to call Sodom and Gomorrah a legend too? Oh, oh wait, all of a sudden there's a whole lot of early stuff in Genesis that we just, just ascribe to myth. So it's like, it's again, when you start giving things over to legend, you know, where does it stop?
1: Yeah, it's like you said, you you always give too much away. That's it. Well, uh, thank you for listening. If indeed
0: you still are. And a double thank you for if you have been listening to this entire saga from episode 25, um, bless you. And uh, <laughs> there it thank is, you. the saga. <laughs> um, and who knows, maybe next episode, maybe we'll have moved on to something different. I don't know.
1: At um, least we'll get to verse 3. That's it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, but that's not 1 and 2. That's that's still Genesis yeah, that's 6. That's right. I'm not so foolish as to believe that um, we're, we're going to do another Genesis 5 and just blow through the entire chapter in one go. <laughs>
1: that's that's wise of you.
0: Well, as always, subscribe every Tuesday, new episode. Thank you for listening. If you have comments, questions, concerns, drop us a message, betterthanfictionbiblepodcast.com, and we'll see you next week. Shalom. And also just for prosperity, um, 3,000 cubits is 4,500 feet.